Ten words of life for the people of God, for the purposes of God. As John said, my name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here at Generations, and I'm just so glad that you are here with us. Our goal each and every week as we stand up here and talk and and share and, and banter back and forth is to give you a picture of what it's like to be in the faith community of Generations. Uh, We swap stories. We like to share them. um, And we hope that we build enough trust with you to be able to hear your story and get to know you better, whether you're here in the room or watching online. As John said, here's your public service announcement again. Not only is it Super Bowl today, but Valentine's Day is Tuesday. Tuesday. So now whether or not you're someone who takes this seriously, we do have certain holidays throughout the year that kind of order life, that we know as we go throughout the year, there are certain holidays that kind of mark our progress. Some of these holidays we look forward to because we need a break from work and we get a three-day weekend, we get out of the monotony of regular life. We get, sometimes it's because we get to host celebrations and we get to eat good food and hang out with others. Some of you even have patterns or traditions around those holidays that were passed on and you look forward to them because maybe you have like a cookie day around Christmas or you know you have like a pie day or you do something special for the 4th of July like spend a bunch of money on fireworks and set them off. And others have created new rhythms or patterns or just events that as you go throughout the year that you look forward to. And they kind of mark where you're at in the year. There's an old saying that's called, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Followed eventually by all play and no work makes Jack a mere toy. That proverb means without time off from work, a person becomes both bored and boring. And a person whose life is consumed with play becomes bored and boring as well. See, the patterns of our culture have lulled us into a false binary. Work, play. Work or leisure. Which pits these two at odds. Both maybe desirable and detestable. Quiet quitting, work until you crash, moving through life at an unsustainable pace until you're burned out or bitter, where anything is an inconvenience. Maybe even your closest friends, your kids, and maybe even your spouse is an annoyance because you just want that break. You just want to play, whether it's futility or frustration at work where you live for the weekend. Or maybe the weekend slips into your work week and makes you a little less unproductible. When Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin crashed on a football field, then medics went through a series of exercises to bring him back to life. Seeing the problem and the challenge, they rushed out to the field to rescue him. They went through a series of exercises, chest pumps, breathing into his mouth, CPR, maybe even bringing shock panels to bring back the rhythm of his heart. 
Because we know when someone's heart stops working, we need a series of rhythmic chest compressions, breathing, to get life back into them. Such rhythm and maybe even an occasional jolt through shock panels can bring someone who is dead back to life. See, in an attempt to bring life back into the world, God chose a family to represent his character within the world. The words of life embodied by Israel were a means of God representing himself to the world. God had to communicate that they needed to be reattached to him. But they also needed to have their world repatterned to strengthen their attachment to God and lessen the attachment to other things that want to rob us of life. And so the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words of Life, are a gift given to breathe life into this community so that they can breathe life into the world. And the Fourth Commandment in particular repatterned the world for all those in Israel's influence. On the precipice of the promised land, the Israelite nation was blessed with a weekly pattern that included rest. It was something that they could look forward to. It was something that they could use to reset and restart both their lives, their hearts, and even prepare them for the week ahead. See, the Sabbath, by definition, was 24 hours set aside for Israel to rest. One day a week. Not our modern weekend of two, but this rest included active worship of Yahweh, communicated dependence on God because it ceased work in a world without grocery stores, and witnessed to a watching world with crushing religious patterns divorced from eternal promises. See, the Sabbath wasn't a time where people did nothing and only slept or reclined on the couch, or where they were by themselves for themselves, where they did only leisure activities. That's actually a fairly modern thing. But the Sabbath was not something that was optional for God's people either. The Sabbath for the people of God served as a bridge for heaven and earth because it repatterned life around God's rescue and ultimate rest. See, Sabbath, in principle, serves as a bridge for us to see heaven and earth combined in a tool that repatterns life around God's rescue and His ultimate rest. See, Moses explains how Sabbath observance rooted in God's redemptive act of Exodus deliverance. He draws particular attention to the fact that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt where there was no rest, where there was futility, there was frustration, there was exhaustion, where the day never seemed to end. But yet, God intervened and delivered them. And God's great creational acts of power as well as his sense of covenant faithfulness and social justice, intervened in such a way to rescue them out of that futility, out of that frustration. So that the desires of their heart was simply that they wanted to stop being 
slaves. But God didn't simply rescue them out of that slavery. He rescued them for a purpose to help them understand and the world understand what attachment to a loving and rescuing God would look like in their everyday life. And so the Sabbath, the aspect of rest that they regained in this commandment was a repatterning to help them learn to simply stop, rest, delight in God, in worship, because of His intervention. See, it's not something we do out of a religious activity because maybe mom and dad said so, or because your church tradition said so, or because you've been told it's right or you should or you ought. But the Sabbath in principle... Sabbath observance allows people, allowed Israel to simply stop, rest, and delight in worship. They were to be reminded that God is with them. And that in His being with them, they could then be with others well. The Sabbath is a bridge, even in the midst of the commandments, to both one's relationship to God before it. If you go back and look at verses 6 through 11, all about relationship to God. And then the second part, or really the, the latter half of the, the Ten Commandments, is all about how we relate to other people. The Sabbath serves as a, a bridge to say that we need to recenter, reorient our life on who God is and what He has done so that it repatterns our, the way we live the other days of the week. How you interact with others. In this way, the Sabbath is a further act of resistance against the idolatry of our own hearts and the exploitation of work. Using other people to get what you want for the sake of your own pleasure or performance. What the, this act of resistance in observing the Sabbath does is it builds on the claims of the primary commandments into the ceaseless regularity of everyday life. It takes our hearts, it takes our eyes, it takes our minds, it takes our bodies, everything that we are, and says, be still, focus, remove yourself from a situation or from a scenario, and for most cases, as this commandment refers to, work. And work is not just simply having a job. Work is the effort that we put in to produce something. So, so you maybe have to work at being a mom or a dad or a sibling, and putting effort to care well for your family. Maybe it's also being a better brother or sister, but maybe it also includes your job. But the effort required to produce something in the scenarios, what God says in this commandment is simply with your total being, be still, stop. Cease, rest, and receive. Because it's only when you receive, then can you then give. It's only then when you receive that then you can live. It's, it's only when you have first been given a place of rest and rescue that then you can enter into difficult scenarios and situations 
where we know the futility and sometimes the frustration is like we may have the identity of parent, but we know to parent well, it takes some work. It takes some effort to be a good employee. That doesn't always come naturally to everyone. It takes learning, receiving, and putting effort. But it's in this day, it's in this observant that we get to cease the regularity of everyday life and allow God to transform our hearts and our minds so that our everyday life can be lived out of the rest received. And so over the next few weeks, as we get back into the later parts of the Ten Commandments, we're going to start to apply really some of these first four into them. How it shows up in relation to others. Because it's always from this place of rest and renewal that we can live well. And that's why in this commandment, it says to keep it holy, set apart. It's not some, it includes purity. It includes a a distinctiveness, but it's really to, to be set apart. It means that it should be set apart in terms of a break from a normal pattern and cycle of work, facilitating focus on the Lord of the Sabbath. It's a weekly system update designed to get the bugs out of their human operating system by reminding them of God's promises and their identity. It's a weekly system update, just as you would update your phone. It allows us to reset and refocus on who God is and what he has done. <clears throat> the people had a pattern to follow that would remind and form their life against the lies and lesser gods of their days and age. See, the Sabbath had an effect on their whole life. It included their servants their animals, and the expectations of others not in their community. Every other people group would have found this act absurd, especially to afford those same rhythms of rest to their slaves or to their animals. Because how would anything get done? They had a right to be served, but instead of having the right to be served, they had a right to rest. And what that does is it transforms. So a watching world that looks at Israel, it undermines the lesser gods that says they were entitled, that says they deserve more, that, that put people in a place of power. See, because we are more than the power we have. We are more than what we produce. We are more than what we achieve. We are more than our individuality expressed. We are more than our socioeconomic status. But we are not more than God. Amen. Our lives have limits. We cannot know all or be all. While we can change, we cannot change the seasons. Our days are 24 hours. Our weeks seem long, yet life is short. Sabbath serves to us and to them as a bridge between heaven and earth to reorient life, to reset life between the eternal and the temporal. Because when life seems overwhelming, when life seems futile, we can remember and receive that there is a God of rescue who can always intervene and care for us in a way that we can't seem to control or care well for us ourselves. See, when the Sabbath is reduced to a goal to be accomplished, 
its repatterning is missed. Jesus, as the representative of the new humanity, says, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. So as I talk about this principle, if you start coming up with a list of do's and don'ts, you're going to start to miss the point because it seems more like a target to hit than a gift to be received. It's why early Christians transformed the seventh day of rest into the first day of celebration of resurrection and new life because it's out of their connection with Jesus that they then could live. It was out of their attachment to him that they could then care, live, and give. It's why it moved from Saturday to Sunday in the early Christian tradition. In reality, God's plan is for us to work from our rest rather than rest from our work. This does not mean that we won't always or we won't ever be tired. This doesn't mean we won't ever feel the frustration or the monotony or the mundane, or, or just even when we think about the weekend, maybe even have a sense of, of dread, or as we think about our week, just feel a little overwhelmed. But what it starts to do is when we work from our rest rather than rest from our work, we have a staying power. We have an eternal motivation that keeps us going when the going gets tough because we are more than what we can produce. We are more than what we can achieve. We are more than our socioeconomic status. We are children of God who have been rescued and redeemed. That is why when Jesus says uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for man, as he steps into a picture, he can step into your life and say, out of your attachment, out of your connection to him, you can then live well. You, You can Seek to do good work because it's not your identity that's achieved. It's from the identity that's received. Then you can work to achieve. It's an overflow. It's an out of. So it means that we stop asking what's permissible on an off day to recharge and start asking what's possible when we are charged with the power of Christ. The whole of contemporary Western culture, from the structure of our business parks and cities to the very fabric of the internet and social media platforms, are ideologies that shape us towards a vision not rooted in the eternal, but in the unlimited freedom and pleasure of the individual now. The patterns created both consciously and unconsciously naturally lead us away from from life and to death because of the false promises, unless interrupted by life systems of a different kind. See, Sabbath repatterns our hearts and our lives in a 24-7 world. We are always connected. We're always on. Access to information. And what Sabbath allows us to do is to recognize our limits and our boundaries, to say no, to separate, to receive. See, you will not change and you will not see change without a repatterning of your life and heart that comes through connection with God. Psychologist Daniel Goleman notes that our brain 
has two semi-independent, largely separate mental systems. We think we can change by sheer willpower, but we need patterns that interrupt our life. Because these systems run at separate speeds. Our slower brain system is aware of the decisions we make. Here's the willpower. Here's your cognitive choice. It's self-control. It chooses to focus its attention on singular items, such as what we are engaged in consciously in that moment. But there's a faster brain system that runs on autopilot. It deals in the background with the incredible volume of stimulation that our senses deal with at any moment. It's, it takes in our environment and our situation. For example, most likely, you're listening to me sitting down. Your slower brain is concentrating on the words and concepts that I am saying, hopefully. <laughs> but I want you to just stop for a moment and just be aware. What kind of seat are you sitting in? Note this sensation, maybe of what you're sitting on or if you're standing. The unevenness, maybe, of your stance or the floor. Become aware of how this chair is interacting with your skin, your muscles, your back. As you start to take in those other moments, who is in, maybe in front of you or behind you? Where are you at in the room? And when you start to take in all of this, your slower brain has just switched its attention to these stimuli. Before your faster brain was filtering them out so that you could focus your attention on what I was saying, hopefully, your faster brain is driven by desires, impulses, emotions. It's sometimes when you step into a space and you get triggered and you're not quite sure why. It's because your faster brain is kicking into gear despite what you can see and perceive. This slower track is also the command center of our habits, driving our actions, behavior, and behavior. See, true change comes from influencing our fast track of the brain. Or as you have probably heard me say before, our attachments. Because it's our attachments that drive the patterns in which we live. And we will pattern our lives around our greatest attachments. We still worship, but what are we worshiping? If our attachments are greater than God, what we are worshiping is not God. We replace God with other things. We're in the biblical language, idols. In the contemporary West, these idols are less likely to be carvings of stone and wood, as we've talked about in previous weeks, but rather visions of individual pleasure, freedom, and autonomy as the ultimate good. See, the Sabbath is and was God's tool given through Moses as a weekly reminder of the rest found in him to reset and repattern our lives. For we have a propensity to become slaves to our own work Amen. and our own wishes. And the will of God is that we be rescued from these evil and lesser masters. We can affirm God's plan and purposes with our words, intentions, and beliefs. 
We can even sing worship songs in our cars. But our life patterns can lead us to a very different end. So I want you to think about your Sunday through Saturday. Or maybe it's your Monday through the weekend. I want to give you just four words that I've said before, but I'll say again. As you contemplate, how is your life patterned now? First word is stop. When you think about Sabbath and you think about ceasing, is this ceasing what I do on normal work days? For example, if you work as a mechanic, but you really enjoy gardening, even though it can be a bit physical, it may be a beautiful Sabbath activity for you. But if you're a landscaper, it's probably likely not the best fit for your Sabbath practice. So stop. Is there a ceasing of regular or normal workday activities? The second word is rest. Is this restful? Does it refill my soul with new energy emotionally, intellectually, physically, and spiritually? See, things like watching TV may give us a welcome break, may give us a little bit, an ability to disassociate, but we seldom get done, get anything done in terms of renewal and refreshment and feel new energy for life. Is this restful. Three, the word delight. Does this activity bring me deep, visceral joy in God? Do I find myself naturally happy and grateful and connected to God as I do it? Delight. Word four, worship. Does this activity connect me more deeply to God and his goodness and beauty? Do I find myself coming alive to the wonder of his nature and spontaneously bursting into praise? Can I recognize who he is and what he has done and simply respond? When you start to bundle these four and you start to contemplate your life and say, can I bundle these four in such a way that maybe one day a week, maybe it's it's not a full day. You're not able to get to that place, but it's simply a section of time in the week to do this, not just by yourself, but do it with others as to be informed and formed by the community, by the people of God, giving credit to who God is and what he has done and reset and be renewed for the rest of your week. See, what's possible is a life lived, community expressed, where the eternal rest of heaven intersects the mundane, the chaos, and the frustration of everyday life. Your soul can be satisfied, not by what you achieve, not by what you control, not by your position or your power, but by your connection and attachment to God. So take a Sabbath. Connect with Him. Make it a pattern in your life. Let's pray. God, you are good. And right now we come to you. We've asked you to speak to us. Lord, right now, would you help us receive and rest? As we respond in different ways, may we be people 
We're not doing this for performance or prestige because we have to, but because we have received the good news that you intervene, that you rescue, that you have sent Jesus to us. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.